If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me in the Old Testament to a familiar prophet in the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking again into the book of Daniel and the fourth chapter. Daniel chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 34. Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 34. I'm excited about that which the Lord has put upon our heart for this 4th of July and this Lord's Day. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we reverence God's Word together. Daniel chapter 4, and beginning in verse 34, the Bible says, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. Hallelujah for that. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Aren't you glad of that? Isn't that sweet news? That, that just preaches, amen? His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It'll never run out. It'll never stop. It'll never cease from being. Amen? What a great truth and testimony from this king. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are, are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according. Now listen to this church. Our most high God. Amen? Whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Whose kingdom is from generation to generation. To generation. The Bible declares that he doeth according to his will. Write that down. According to his will in the army of heaven and among where? How many testify you believe that? Amen. That God himself. Amen that God himself does his will in the armies of heaven, amen, and among all the inhabitants of the earth. That's powerful. Isn't that powerful? And none can stay his hand. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought me, Lord sought me unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now listen to this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven pagan king testifies before his empire and before all people he said listen I praise extol and honor the king of heaven all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able, he is able, he is able 
to abase. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. As we look unto the Holy Scriptures, and we look unto this portion of Scripture, it's one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite times, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself and, and get too carried away and too excited uh, too early here because I think you're going to be really blessed by the things that, that we're about to share and the things that the Word of God is about to reveal unto us. But one thing that I can say, and the one thing that you can say, and the one thing that we as a church can always testify is we have an amazing God. Amen? We have an amazing God. If you were to just kind of boil down the testimony and boil down the, 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 the praise of King Nebuchadnezzar, that would be exactly what you would get out of it. God is an amazing God. Always has been, always will be. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to remind us of something as a church this Lord's Day, something that is important and something that is familiar, a truth, and it's found in that familiar 23rd Psalm. 23rd Psalm. Most of us could stand up this morning and quote the 23rd Psalm. Or at least if you couldn't quote it exactly as I led the 23rd Psalm, you could follow right along without even looking in your Bibles because you'd always know the next word. Perhaps more than any other scripture in all the Bible, we know the 23rd Psalm. We've read it. We've heard it. Amen? But the 23rd Psalm is as much truth as all the Word of God, as the rest of the Word of God. He wasn't just trying to write a song of comfort he wasn't just trying to write something that sounded pleasant and good to the ears. He was writing truth. And in verse 4 of the 23rd Psalm is some of the greatest truth that we have. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. You know, we all do that. Amen. I, I, I don't know when I'm leaving this world. Does anybody know when you're leaving? Amen. You've been instructed, you've been given an exact time and day, amen, I, I don't know. I may not finish this sermon, you may not finish hearing this sermon, amen. We don't know. We don't know. But the one thing that the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the reason that I will fear no evil is because thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. I want to zero in on that for just a moment. Something that we can take home. Something that as a church that we can rejoice about. The psalmist made a conscious decision within his life. It's found in the center of the verse. When he declared and said, I will fear no evil. Amen? You're awful quiet this morning. In his mind, 
and in his heart, he had reasoned that he would spend his days upon this earth, that he would fear no evil. Now let that soak in for just a moment. In other words, he was simply saying, I'm not going to live life afraid. I'm not going to live life afraid of what the enemy can do unto me. I'm not going to live life afraid of what the adversary, that roaring lion. I'm not going to be afraid of his roar. I'm not going to be afraid of the things that I see. I'm not going to be afraid of the things that I hear. I'm just simply not going to live in fear. I, I gave that a lot of thought, and I, I began to reason that within my own mind, and I, I got to thinking about how significant and how important that is. That should be a commitment to every Christian, to every life. I know I'm probably labeled as a bold preacher, amen, and a, a bold witness to most folks. But I got to thinking about what the psalmist said and I got down to some really, really tough questions about my own life. And I began to address those and I, I hope this helps you. And I, I, I probably said from the pulpit, it's very obvious that in the world in which we live and the culture in which we live, things are not headed, they might tell us so, but things are not going in a good direction. Can we agree? Can we agree? Things are not going in a good direction. When I listen to the news and when I listen to the media and I see the things that's happening in broad daylight, not even at night anymore, the cover of night, right in broad daylight. I must admit, that as I watch this, as I see this, and I think about, you know, we kind of we talked about it briefly this morning. I said, not before I preach, please. I don't talk politics before I preach. I got to thinking about what the psalmist said. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. I refuse to live in fear. I, like yourself, I, I spend time on my knees. I spend time praying unto the Lord. In fact, I, I, I preached uh, uh, several years ago a sermon called Prayer Walking. I, I believe that we should always be in prayer. Amen. I walk praying. I live. I sit at my desk praying. I'm always trying to be in communion with heaven. Amen. But I got to say that I I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking about, you know, when I watch the news and I think about the direction, I, I can't say that I, my heart is totally 100% absent of fear. I fear some things. I was fearing some things for certain people. My grandchildren, the world that they're going to grow up in, the society that they're going to live in. Being totally honest, I, 
fearful for the church. And I know what the Bible says, that, you know, this is his, his church, it's his work, and I know that he'll never allow his church to fail. I know that. I know that. But I do believe that the church is going to be more and more challenged. I really believe that. I believe that we're headed to a real time in society where being a Christian is going to be the most unpopular thing in this world. I really believe that. That means that it's already coming to a time that for you to announce that, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. I belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm a member of New Old Baptist Church. I serve the Lord. I love the Lord. I read His Bible. I read it to my children, to my children's children. Amen. Those are going to become unpopular things. Barring an intervention. Amen. The Bible says, again, the psalmist, I will fear no evil. The Apostle Paul kind of put legs to that statement in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and, and verse 7 when talking about the church itself. And he says this, he says, For God hath not given unto us the spirit of fear. In other words, our great God, our Savior, has not given unto us the spirit of fear. The last thing he wanted us to do was be fearful. But listen, he says, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, Alan, in which to operate with. But he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and sound mind. Church, the last thing that your God wants is for you to live timid and tiptoeing around in society. Hallelujah! Give the Lord a hand. Amen? We do not have to live timid and tiptoe around in our society. God has given us power, God has given us love, and God has given us a sound mind. The rest of the world might be crazy, but not the church. God has given unto us a sound mind to make our decisions with, our convictions with, our commitments with. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Now listen, i got to hurry on. In order for the church, and in order for you and me to be able to achieve a life that is absent of fear. See, you got to do some thinking to this. In order for us to truly achieve that 23rd Psalm and that fourth verse, I will fear no evil. In order for that to be a reality and possible, there's something that we as a church must know. Amen? And the thing that we as a church must know is that we must realize, know, and believe that our God is in control. Amen? You will not accomplish the reality of living a life absent of fear unless you know, 
believe that your God is still in control. Amen? And what a great truth. Listen, nobody has dethroned God. Nobody's removed God from office. Nobody has taken his place, amen? He still sits upon the throne. He is still in control, and he is still the authority as King Nebuchadnezzar testified. Give the Lord a hand. That's good preaching. I don't care who's doing it. God is still in control. Not Washington, not the media, not the evil things that we see going on and happening within our society and culture, amen. God is still in control, and I'm thankful for that, amen. Daniel, as we look into our, our scripture for just a moment, Daniel knew what it was like, and I don't have time, we, we had this sermon a few months ago, but Daniel knew what it was like to live in a godless society. He, along with other young men, we would still call them boys, were taken captive and taken back and served under the king and under the Babylonian empire. Babylon did not care about the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Didn't care about anything of Daniel's God, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Didn't care anything about their Jewish ways, their Jewish culture, the Ten Commandments. Zero concern or care for any of those things. Are you with me? King Nebuchadnezzar cared less could care less about Daniel's God. Amen? And Daniel lived in such a culture that he tried to witness to and that he tried to, to live faithful and, and obedient unto his God. Now I want to clue you in for just a moment on, on King Nebuchadnezzar, and I could turn to several different things, but... I want you to understand who we're dealing with here, okay? The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of what? Made an image of gold. And it said, whose height was threescore cubics and the breadth thereof six cubics. Amen? Now, in order to help us understand who we're dealing with and the type of person that we're dealing with, this king was so full of pride, so full of self-glory, so full of arrogance that he had this huge, gigantic, golden image made. I looked it up, and different scholars differed in the actual size or the height of this thing. One, I read one that said 40 foot. I read several that said 90 feet. A lot of gold. Amen. Chris, that's a lot of gold. Amen. That this king decided to have made and to put up 
before all the people of his empire. This false God, this false image, if you will, that he would have made and set before his people. Not only did he have it made, but he passed a law that everyone would have to bow a certain time of the day that they would have to bow and worship this image. No excuses, no exceptions. There would be severe consequences to pay if you refuse to bow. Do you hear me, church? That's what they were dealing with. I believe there's coming a day when the church will deal with severe consequences for refusing to cooperate and refusing to get along with your culture and society. You won't get a free ride all the time. This king didn't care about the God of Israel didn't care about Daniel's God, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego's God. All he cared about was himself. Now, you know the story. Most of us that are here, we're familiar with the story. But notice what it says in Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 19. You know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, We'll not bow. Oh, king, we're not going to bow. Our God would deliver us, and if not, we're still not going to bow. Amen. We're going to be obedient unto our God. We're not going to worship. And so the Bible says in, in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visions was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace. You ever seen somebody's face just change? And that's what happened. He was so outraged that they refused to obey his law and to bow to his image. His face changed. Now, he liked these boys. These boys had been proven over time. I don't have time to get into the whole sermon, but they had been proven. They were the choice. Listen. They were the choice servants of the palace because of God because of God but they crossed the line and the king listen therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace listen one seven times more than it was wont to be heated and he commanded listen he commanded the most mighty men that were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. That's the king that you were dealing with. Away with them. Away with them. I don't care how wise they are. I don't care how knowledgeable they are. I don't care all the benefits they bring to the palace, because they did. They did. If you read the earlier chapters of Daniel, they did. 
This king said, I've had enough. I want to be rid of them forever. I can't run an empire with disobedience. Are you with me? I can't run an empire being disrespected by these three Hebrew boys. Turn the furnace up seven times so that everybody else, you see, that was a statement to make sure everybody else got the message. Don't disobey me. The Bible, of course, in our story, we know that God delivered them. They, they brought them out of that furnace, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Amen? Imagine that. Didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. <laughs> Seven times. Amen? And God brought them out, and God delivered them. I want to close with this because I shared this with you about King Nebuchadnezzar so that we could tie his life together. Remember Wednesday night, those of you that were with us on Wednesday night, we preached on the woman at Jacob's well. Remember I said that no soul is so lost that God can't save them. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. No soul is so lost. That woman had five husbands, and the one that she was living with was not even her husband. If ever there was a life that needed saving, if ever there was a life that needed changing, if ever there was a life that needed turning around, it was her life. Ronnie, we need to be more like Jesus. More like Jesus. Who took the time. Took the time for that precious life, that precious soul to be saved. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar was no different. He was just a crooked, evil, wicked king that needed to be saved that needed to be turned around, that needed to realize that he wasn't in charge, (laughs) that needed to realize his empire wasn't in charge, that God was in control, and that God was in charge, and that no king or no empire was bigger than God. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 4, and listen to this testimony. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. They feared this king. Bruce, they feared this king and his empire. Just the mention of his name would bring trembling and fear. The last person you wanted to upset was this king until grace brought him down until grace brought him low and this king testified and said listen 
to all the nations, to all the people, to all the languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it a good, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. <laughs> God looked and said, there's a king. I, I, I can use that king. There's a king that needs saving. There's a king whose life needs turning around. God said, I'm going to bring about in that king's life. Listen, it was a process of these signs and wonders. Listen, the king testified, listen, that the high God had wrought toward me. These were designed toward me. Chuck, God designed certain things, certain signs, certain wonders toward me. <laughs> Amen. Not a king. Just a little old boy in Mount A. And trying to live life that needed saving just like everybody else. And this process, Daniel said, how great are the signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation, including ours. Including ours. As they come, get invitational song ready, and we close. And we prepare for invitation. Before we stand, just bow with me for a moment, if you will, at your pews, heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. I'm glad, church, that I can show up and still preach this book and still preach about our great and amazing God. I'm glad that I can still look a church in the eye. I'm glad that I can still look to you and say, our God is still in control. Our God is still on the throne. Our God is still the final authority, the final say. And as this king testified, as this king testified, no one can stay his hand. He'll do his will, amen. He'll do his will in the armies of heaven, and he will do his will in the inhabitants of the earth. And no one but no one can stay his hand. No one can dare ask, what doest thou? What doest thou? You and I don't have a right to ask God, what well, God, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? He knows what he's doing. And because of that truth, you and I, we don't have to be afraid in any generation. We don't have to be fearful for any generation. Amen? Because God's in control. And he will remain always in control. Maybe you're here this Lord's Day, this 4th of July. Maybe you need to be saved like the woman at the well, like King Nebuchadnezzar, that you too can leave this earth praising and glorifying God. Maybe you need to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe those of you that are watching, 
by social media or listening by FM transmitter. You need to be saved. All sinners need to be saved. And to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. King Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes toward heaven, called upon the Lord, and the Lord gave unto him, restored back unto him his reason. Amen. God can save you. God can save you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I need God back in control of my life. I need to put God back in control of my life. I know that I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But I just need to put God where God belongs back in control of my life. Friend, there's no better place to dwell than that. I can assure you, amen. There is no better place for you to dwell than God in control. I'm going to get up out of the way, whatever the need might be as we stand and sing. I, I guess